fellowship. That's good. You guys doing good this morning? Amen. God is good. God is good. Well, before we dive in uh, to what I feel like the Lord uh, has given me for a word, uh, I just want to let you guys know here at the Journey Church, uh, you guys have amazing uh, leaders. Uh, Pastor Tim, I've known Pastor Tim for about five and a half years or so, uh, and he's just an awesome guy. Uh, I really like him, uh, and I know I know you guys like him as well. And uh, so uh, I'm bummed out he's not here because I just like being in his presence. Uh, he's a good guy. He's a really good guy. And so uh, I'm, I'm recording this, and I'm going to let Pastor Tim know uh, that I really like him, and uh, you, you guys like him as well. Um, I had the opportunity uh, in 2011. Uh, to come, and I, I actually sat in a chair right here, uh, and I taught youth group here for, for about four months. Uh, so this isn't my first time at Journey Church, uh, but it's great to be uh, great to be back with you guys. Uh, our young adult group at Hillside, uh, we actually rented this sanctuary for a year and a half on Tuesday nights, so we were able to come hang out in this. So I knew, I knew there was no air conditioning, I knew the temperature might be a little bit warm in here, uh, but I didn't know how to turn on the fans. Uh, when we were here. Uh, you guys know how to turn on the fans, and it's pretty awesome. It feels good in here. Um, so yeah, uh, Journey Church, you got a family uh, to us. Uh, I'm one of the associate pastors at Hillside Christian Fellowship uh, in a town not too far away, uh, known to you guys as Clackamas. Uh, we're neighbors. Uh, and so uh, sister churches, uh, we just love doing fellowship together. We've done a few men's retreats together. And uh, so I just want to let you guys know, uh, I feel like you guys are family. And so uh, hopefully you feel the same about us over there at Hillside. I do have to let you guys know, uh, Lee can make a mean mocha. Uh, he made an amazing mocha this morning with some mint. It tasted really good. So if you guys get an opportunity, if you haven't already, you need to go to that coffee cart when Lee's back there. It was pretty, pretty good. Thank you very much, Lee. Uh, how many of you guys have your Bibles uh, this morning? You guys got your Bibles? So I have, this, I have this practice. I don't know when I picked it up or why I picked it up, but every time I preach, I say, let me see your Bibles. And, uh, and so uh, I want to see some Bibles out there. Awesome, awesome. We are, we are in a good place. Lots of Bibles. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 12. Uh, John chapter 12 is a portion of Scripture uh, that I have been in recently. Uh, our Tuesday night young adult group at Hillside. Uh, we've been going through the book of John. Uh, and officially, we've been in the book of John 33 weeks, uh, and we are in John chapter 13. Uh, so a few weeks ago, we were in John chapter 12, and I really felt like the Lord uh, gave me a message uh, for our young people, but it's not just a message uh, for that group. I think it's a message for the entire body of Christ, uh, and I think it's a message that is extremely applicable to us. And so we're going to read um, in just a second, but if you have headings in your Bible or if you're familiar with John chapter 12. This is a portion of scripture that this is a very random time of the year to be teaching from this. Uh, this is Jesus's triumphal entry. Uh, so normally this is an Easter time service, uh, but we're going to look at it uh, today from maybe a different vantage point. It starts out with Jesus uh, in Bethany. Uh, he hasn't been to Jerusalem for a while uh, because there's a warrant out for his arrest. And uh, so Jesus is just chilling outside Bethany, and this is right before uh, he's about to enter uh, into Jerusalem on that triumphal entry. He's hanging out with Mary and Martha, some familiar uh, names and faces in the New Testament. He's over at their house. He had just uh, raised Lazarus from the dead in the previous chapter, 
Uh, and so now he's hanging out with them, uh, teaching, eating some good food. And if you're familiar with the story, uh, we have uh, Mary who's hanging out at Jesus' feet. We got Lazarus who's hanging out at Jesus' feet. And Martha's running around doing a bunch of work. Uh, and, and so there's a sermon there about uh, doing work for Jesus or, or, or spending time just with Jesus and how we can get caught up and doing so much good that we forget the reason why we're doing the good. Uh, but we're not going to talk about that uh, this morning. And then if you have headings in your Bibles, uh, verse 9, the heading in my Bible, the New King James, it says, the plot to kill Lazarus. I don't know if it's just because I like the TV show Law and Order, but that just, I'm like, ooh, the plot to kill. And, and it's, but we're not talking about that this morning. Uh, we're going to be picking up in verse 12. Uh, and if you're taking notes, uh, I would encourage you to take notes, not because I think I have anything good to say, uh, but because I think God's word uh, has something uh, for us. And I think God's word uh, is applicable to our lives in every, in every way. And so if you're taking notes, uh, the title of this morning's sermon, it's a sermon you've probably never heard in church before, but the title is Not Just Some Old Donkey. Not Just Some Old Donkey. And we're going to talk, it's going to make a little bit more sense in just a second. But let's read uh, verses 12 uh, through about uh, 19. And this is what it says, picking up in verse 12 of John chapter 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. And they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things were written about him, and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when, they, uh, when he had called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. And the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much uh, for your word. Uh, God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have, um, God, as followers of Christ, to, to have access to uh, your word. Uh, God, we just pray that this morning as we spend just these next few moments looking at what your perfect word has to say. God, I pray that your word would encourage us. God, that your word would inspire us. And God, that your word would challenge us. God, that we would uh, God, we'd be challenged by what your word has to say. And that we wouldn't leave this place the same way as when we came in. But God, that we would be changed by the power of your word, by the power of your spirit. Uh, and God, may we go forth boldly from this place, proclaiming uh, Jesus to our friends, our family members, our co-workers, our classmates, whatever it may be. God, we want to make great the name of Jesus. God, I pray that this morning none of these would be my words, uh, but God, that you would speak through me. Anything that would be of me may fall on deaf ears or may not even be able to get it out of my mouth. But God, that your perfect uh, word would come through. Uh, and God, we just pray all these things in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So in our culture, uh, we have uh, kind of degraded donkeys. Uh, we have uh, phrases that talk about how dumb and uh, not very smart donkeys are. Um, and, and donkeys kind of get a bad rap. Uh, people would not think of seeing a horse go up against a donkey uh, in a race. Um, a few weeks ago, actually it was June 6th, uh, something happened here in the United States uh, and in the world that had never happened uh, in, or, or that hadn't happened in 37 years. Uh, how many of you guys watch horse racing? Anyone watch horse racing? Awesome. 
That's awesome. Uh, I don't, but uh, I was on uh, Facebook uh, a few weeks ago, and I saw a video that popped up, and I was like, oh, this looks interesting. Uh, and it was a video of, of uh, a horse um, racing another horse. And it was two side-by-side videos. One was of uh, something that took place 37 years ago. There was a horse named Secretariat. Anyone see the movie Secretariat? Uh, Secretariat uh, won the Triple Crown back in the day. Something that hadn't been done in a while and, and something that had held for 37 years. Well, uh, just a few short weeks ago, uh, a horse uh, named American Pharaoh uh, in his second season racing just won the Triple Crown. And so it was pretty impressive. Um, and this video I saw showed the horse of today versus Secretariat uh, of back in the day. They put the videos up next to each other. Uh, and they wanted to see, uh, are horses today faster than horses back in the day? They always ask the questions in sport. Is LeBron James better than Michael Jordan? Is Terry Bradshaw better than Tom Brady? So the question was asked, is American Pharaoh better than Secretariat? Uh, and with today's training and with the technologies we have of raising horses, everyone thought, yes. But when the videos were put side by side, it just uh, went to prove that it's not always how it works. Secretariat would have won by four seconds. Uh, that is a big margin of victory in a horse race. Uh, and so all that being said, uh, I think a donkey would lose by a whole lot more. Um, but back in the day, donkeys were actually a very, very important animal. Uh, culturally speaking, at the time the Bible was written, uh, donkeys were uh, extremely, extremely important. I think if we were to try and compare a donkey um, from back then to something today, it'd be like that old reliable pickup truck. Anyone have the good old reliable pickup truck that they just, it, when it's time to work, you use it? Uh, I think if the country singers of today were alive back then, uh, they would have wrote songs about donkeys, uh, and it would have been uh, some good guitar tunes with some donkeys. Uh, and actually, as we're going to see, uh, there is a song about a donkey in the Bible. Um, many of you didn't know that, but we're going to get there in just a second. Uh, how many of you guys know uh, that there's multiple stories in the Bible uh, that are about donkeys? Can, can we maybe think, uh, how many of you guys could think of maybe two stories in the Bible about a donkey? All right, all right. Anyone, like three stories? Yeah, so, so, so donkeys play a pretty important role uh, in some stories in the Bible. How many of you guys have heard of Absalom? Anyone ever heard of Absalom? Okay, so, so Absalom is one of David, King David's uh, sons. Uh, the Bible tells us that he had amazing hair, uh, not just like your average amazing hair. This guy had like Fabio hair, super long, super flowy. The Bible tells us he cut his hair once a year, and when he did, he cut these huge, long, just chunks out of his hair. He liked his hair a lot. Um, how many of you guys know when you have, have something about yourself you like a lot, some pride, it can get you in trouble? Uh, Absalom's pride got him in trouble. Uh, and one day, he's riding a donkey. Um, he had thrown a coup against David. He didn't like his dad, the way he was running the show. So Absalom's like, I'm going to be king. Civil war takes place. And as he's riding one day on a donkey, um, he's, there's some low-hanging branches. And the donkey, being a donkey, just keeps going straight. And Absalom's hair gets caught in the branch, and he ends up flying off his donkey, and the Bible tells us that the donkey rode on. Just not very smart, just kept going. And Absalom's there hanging from his hair in the tree, uh, and then some of his enemies, they come up, uh, and they kill him. So, sad day for Absalom, uh, but his donkey kept going, which was great. Uh, How many of you guys have heard of Balaam before? Uh, So Balaam uh, was a prophet, uh, not a Hebrew prophet, but a prophet of the one true God, uh, but he fell into... uh, a really bad situation where he was bribed uh, by a king of Moab named Balak, uh, and they was going to curse Israel as they were uh, in the wilderness during their exodus. 
Well, one day as he's riding his donkey on his way to meet Balak, uh, his donkey uh, runs him into the side of a wall. So he hits his donkey. He's not very happy at it. Donkey recorrects. Then donkey puts him into the wall again. And then again. Uh, and Balaam is like, you are a dumb donkey. What are you doing? And the donkey turns around at him and says, why are you hitting me? Like the donkey actually talks. Uh, now, what's really interesting about this portion of scripture is the fact that Balaam's not actually like too... Uh, surprised that the donkey was talking. I don't know what that has to say about donkeys uh, talking, but uh, this donkey was able to see the supernatural, and there was the angel standing there. Um, So this donkey uh, was pretty good. Uh, Donkeys show up in other forms than just riding. Uh, One day, this guy by the name of Samson uh, was walking around, and he saw a whole army of Philistines, and he wasn't very happy with them. Uh, So he said, hey, I'm going to do something to these Philistines, but I don't have a weapon. What? And then he sees a dead donkey on the side of the road. He picks up the donkey's jaw, uh, and he goes to town on the Philistines, knocking them all down, killing them all. Uh, And this is where the song came in. Uh, Samson actually sings a song that with a donkey's jawbone, heaps upon heaps, with a donkey's jawbone, I kill many men. That's what the Hebrew says. Uh, So there's your country song about donkeys. Um, How many of you guys uh, around Christmas time watch Rankin and Bass Christmas movies. Anyone watch Rankin and Bass? Like Santa Claus is coming to town. Any of those, the claymation from the 70s. Did anyone, uh, did anyone ever see Nestor the Christmas donkey? Yeah, with the long ears? Okay, uh, he's not in the Bible, but uh, I thought Nestor was pretty cool. Uh, more recent movies, Shrek. Anyone see Shrek? Uh, I don't know if it's scientifically proven, but donkeys apparently like waffles as well, so that's pretty good. Um, but today, uh, we have the luckiest donkey of all time. Uh, this is a donkey. Uh, who, from the beginning of time, was foretold uh, to have a very, very important role. Uh, This donkey was going to carry Jesus into Jerusalem uh, at his triumphal entry. Um, This donkey, uh, probably thinking to itself, if donkeys could think to themselves, uh, wasn't thinking of itself as a very important donkey. Uh, we're told elsewhere in the Gospels that this, gospel, uh, that this donkey had never been ridden before. So he's kind of just chilling there. Um, but the first point uh, of this message this morning is this donkey, who's not some old donkey, this donkey carries the coming king. Uh, John tells us here in verse 12 that there's a great multitude uh, here in Jerusalem for a feast. Uh, Josephus, who's a first century Jewish historian, tells us that the population of Jerusalem on any given day was about 150,000, a, a semi-decent sized city, uh, 150,000. But at the time of the Passover, Jerusalem would swell to anywhere between 1.5 million and 2 million people. So the city expands very much, very, very crowded. Uh, and Jesus had been staying outside of Jerusalem at this point because uh, he did not want uh, or, or was not his day to enter uh, into Jerusalem yet. And we're going to come to the importance of when Jesus uh, enters Jerusalem in just a second. Uh, but verse 14 uh, of, of this uh, chapter in John tells us that Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it. Um, now that doesn't give us a whole lot of information about this donkey, but if you still have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 11, because the Gospels uh, are synoptic and, and, and they tell the same story, uh, but some of them give us different, uh, different aspects of the story, a different vantage point, if you would say. Uh, so Mark 11 gives us a little bit more insight into this 
donkey. This is what it says in Mark 11, page 891 in my Bible. Uh, It says this, Now Jesus, when they drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, uh, Go into the village opposite of you, and as you have uh, entered it, you will find a colt which is tied, on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it to me. And if anyone says, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send you here. Um, in essence, what Jesus is doing is he's telling them to go hotwire someone's pickup truck. He's saying, uh, yeah, go into the next town, hotwire the first pickup truck you see. No one's actually driven it. It's probably still on the lot. And if they have a problem with it, just say Jesus needs it. Um, we'd probably get in trouble if we do that today. So I'm not encouraging anyone to do that. This was a very specific uh, time and a very specific reason. Uh, so they do this. And... Uh, and the story unfolds just as Jesus said it would. A guy comes out and says, what are you doing? And they say, the master has need of it. And he says, all right, be on your way. And so as John tells us in verse 14 of John chapter 12, it says, when Jesus found the donkey or when Jesus hotwired the donkey uh, and he wrote it in. Verse 13 tells us that they begin to throw palm branches down. You guys uh, on, on Palm Sunday, uh, do, do you guys get the palm fronds and give them to the kids? Anyone do that? Okay, so we used to do that back when I was a, a, a really little kid. And this is a bad Story, so I'm not not encouraging this, but palm fronds, uh, when you rip the little leaves off of them, make really good like whips. My brother and I, uh, being pastors' kids, we'd stay at the church a long time, and so we'd pick up all the pr- uh, palm fronds from in between the chairs, and we'd make whips and whip each other in the back of the legs. Uh, good times, um, lots of welts, uh, but I don't think that's what the kids were doing here. In essence, what they're doing when they're throwing these palm branches and throwing their cloaks on the ground is they're laying the red carpet uh, for Jesus, for this Messiah, for the King. Uh, Matthew tells us uh, in his gospel, uh, he quotes Zechariah 9, uh, 9, which talks about how they will uh, say Hosanna, Hosanna, and he will come riding in on a donkey, fulfilling prophecy. This donkey, unbeknownst to himself, uh, was a fulfillment to prophecy. Uh, in this time, kings uh, would ride horses. When a king was coming to a specific place, uh, they would ride on a horse. When they were going to war, they would ride on a horse. When they were coming in the parade, they would ride on a horse. The only time a king would come on a donkey uh, was when he was declaring peacetime, when he was saying, this is peace uh, and there will be a lasting peace. And so, in essence, what Jesus is saying uh, to not only uh, the lay people uh, who were Jews, but also to the Pharisees and to the rulers who were there in Jerusalem, he's saying, I am the coming king and I'm bringing peace. And this was a uh, maybe a headache or, or something for them because they wanted a king who was going to come uh, with sword in hand, ready to topple down the Roman Empire uh, and, and cause some trouble. Uh, but Jesus said, no, uh, I'm bringing peace. And he's making a very bold statement here, though, uh, by saying uh, he is king. Uh, so the question could be asked, uh, well, Jesus had been in this area uh, for many years. Uh, He was born and raised in the area, and he'd been doing ministry uh, for three years. What took Jesus so long to to, to establish himself as king, to come in and say uh, he was the king? At this point, Jesus hadn't been very forward about uh, his his kingship, his messiahship. He had told his inner circle that I am Messiah, I am the Christ. But when the crowds were saying, hey, this is Messiah, let's raise him up, he said, no, 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 go away, no. Or Jesus would sneak out the back door, and he he did not want to be seen uh, as Messiah right away. And the question would be asked, well, why is this? What is 
the purpose here. Uh, and I think Jesus uh, was trying to get the hearts of the people ready. They wanted a very political Messiah, a Messiah who would come and bring uh, a revolution, a, a, a Messiah who would bring political change, uh, new policies. Uh, they were looking for someone who was going to come and completely uh, overthrow the Roman way of things and establish in uh, a, a Davidic Hebrew Israeli kingdom that would last for uh, centuries and, and in essence uh, Jesus does do this but in a very different way than they were expecting and I think Jesus was getting uh, the disciples and his followers and the people of Jerusalem and Israel he was getting their hearts ready uh, for his true purpose and what he was going to do you see here in chapter 12 uh, we're about halfway through the book of John uh, the first half of John the first 12 chapters uh, encompass uh, the first 30 years, really, of Jesus' life, uh, and now, uh, really, actually, the first 33, because from verse, uh, from chapter 12 to the end of the book, we're looking at a total of about eight days. Uh, we're at the very end of Jesus' ministry, and what Jesus is going to do is he's going to be showing uh, this is the purpose of my ministry. This is the purpose of my life. This is the purpose of the cross, forgiveness, death, and resurrection. And so Jesus was getting their eyes on the cross. But the question could still be asked, well, couldn't he have done that earlier uh, in his ministry? He had a great following. There were a lot of people who were all excited about him. Why didn't Jesus establish himself when he did? Um, well, just like this donkey was very special and was prophesied about, uh, the Messiah's triumphal entry upon this donkey uh, was something that was prophesied for a very specific day. You see, Jesus over and over again, he tells the disciples, this is not my day, this is not my time, this is not my hour. But as we're in the, uh, the Gospels in the book of John, uh, we begin to see that Jesus says, my time is drawing close, my time is drawing close, my time is at hand. What is Jesus referring to? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. We're jumping around just a little bit, uh, but it's all going to tie together in just a second. So we're turning to Daniel uh, chapter 9. Uh, and Daniel, the first half of the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel's telling his story uh, as he's there in Babylon. But the second half, uh, we see Daniel switch to kind of prophecy mode. And something takes place uh, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. And this is what it says. It says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of the sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and to seal up prophecy, to anoint the most holy. Now therefore, or know therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, and the streets shall be built again in the wall, and even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself, and for the uh, people of the prince who is to come. Uh, and then it goes on to talk about uh, Jerusalem. But something uh, very important has just been uh, prophesied here. Uh, he says 70 uh, weeks. Uh, and, and then he goes on to say seven weeks and 62 weeks. Uh, there, there's a lot of, what does this mean? He's using numbers. He's using symbolism. Well, in uh, the Hebrew way of writing, uh, when it says weeks there, it's referring to a seven-year period. 
It's referring to a seven-year period, and we know this because if you look uh, in, in Jeremiah, there's the prophecy of how uh, Israel is going to be taken into captivity as a result of them not giving the land. It's Sabbath in Jewish tradition, and in the law it was prescribed that for six years you could till the land, do everything you needed, but in the seventh year you had to give the land its, 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 its Sabbath and let it rest. You wouldn't harvest anything. You would have built up enough in the six years previous, and then you'd give the land its rest, and then you restart the seven-year period. But Israel hadn't done this uh, for a very, very long time, and so they were prescribed to be in captivity for 70 years so that Israel and Jerusalem could get all of its Sabbaths. Now, the thing is, these seven-year periods are very, very important to us. And if you want to understand that seven-year period uh, as weak, you can look a little bit uh, more in Second Chronicles. But it goes on to say here, uh, in verse 25, uh, that from the going forth of the command to rebuild Jerusalem, which if you're familiar with the Old Testament history, Jerusalem had been destroyed by Babylon, and uh, Israel uh, had been taken into captivity in Babylon and in Assyria. And for these years, Jerusalem has just been laid uh, in rubble. No one's living there. It's just destroyed. Uh, But uh, when Babylon is overtaken by Cyrus the Great in Persia, uh, some things transpire. Uh, And Cyrus uh, commands uh, Nehemiah and Ezra to go back and to rebuild the walls uh, of Jerusalem. So we see uh, uh, these these 62 weeks and 7 weeks, uh, which if you do math, I was trying to say 69 because that's uh, 62 plus 7. Uh, we, we see these 69 sevens until Messiah. Uh, a Babylonian year, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of math. That's all going to make sense in just a second, though. Uh, but a Babylonian year is 360 days. Um, so when we apply the math of, of 69 seven year periods, uh, we have 173,880 days. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 1 through 8 tell us that it was in uh, the month of Nisan on the first day that the command is given. um, And we can track back to see when uh, this command was given through Persian records. And it took place on 444 B.C. Nisan the first, which correlates to uh, our Julian understanding of the calendar to be March 5th, uh, 444. Uh, that 173,880 days equates to uh, 476 years and 25 days. And it says that this is when Messiah would come. Now, the thing is, if you add the math here from March 5th, 444 B.C., you add all these years to it, it comes out to be March 30th, 33 A.D. Kind of interesting. Probably not a coincidence. Uh, and using the Jewish calendar, we can see when Passover was in 33 AD. And it just turns out that Passover in 33 AD was on April 3rd. Uh, so we're looking at about four days after uh, Messiah should be revealed, according to Daniel. And here we see in John, Jesus fulfilling scripture coming in right before Passover was going to take place at the beginning of the week. Jesus coming on a very specific day. And this is why uh, in Luke's gospel, uh, Luke uh, tells us that the Pharisees were telling Jesus, tell these people to stop crying out. Tell these people to stop saying Hosanna. Tell these people to stop praising you. And Jesus says, if I do this, the very rocks will cry out. Uh, I don't think Jesus was just talking for facetiously or using some sort of uh, illustration. I think Jesus was 
speaking very, very truthfully when he said, uh, this is an appointed day, and if the people stop, the very earth will begin to cry out because since the beginning of time, this was the day uh, that was prophesied that Messiah would be revealed. And so this donkey had a very, very specific uh, time that he was going to show up and that he was going to be used, uh, just as Jesus had a very specific day that was not a random day. Uh, Jesus did not come in a way uh, that many would have expected. He wasn't born in some fancy uh, situation. He wasn't born uh, to a wealthy family. He wasn't born to royalty. They were expecting a king, but Jesus was born in a very different way. He was born in a manger to uh, a poor couple who didn't have a place to stay. Uh, very humble beginnings. He was the son, not of a king, but of a carpenter. Uh, and he was probably very misunderstood. The Gospels even tell us that his brothers thought he was crazy uh, as he was doing his ministry. Jesus was very misunderstood at the time. Uh, and Jesus was holding back some power that he had. He could have done many, many things uh, before his, his revealing uh, himself as Messiah. He could have established his kingdom there and then. He could have called an army from heaven to defeat Rome. He could have done all these things, but he comes in a very specific manner at a very specific time for, for a very specific reason. And, and we're, if you continue to study the book of John, and if you look at the book of John uh, from this point on, we're going to see that in the preceding uh, or, or the proceeding chapters from this point, uh, Jesus begins to unfold his, his full meaning of why he has come to earth, what he is going to do, his plans and his purpose. Uh, Jesus tells us in, in John chapter 14 through John chapter 16 how he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through him. And then he begins to talk about how it is a good thing that he's leaving. It's a good thing that he's going to go back to heaven so that he can send his Holy Spirit, so that we uh, can be empowered by his Holy Spirit to be witnesses uh, in, in our families and in our workplaces and in the communities in which we live. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In, verse, uh, in chapter 17, and 19, we're going to see Jesus' death for our sins. Uh, in chapter 20, we're going to see that Jesus raises from the dead, uh, fulfilling even more prophecy. And in chapter 21, uh, he gives us even more promises as we, uh, as followers of Christ, seek to live for him in our lives. But uh, the, the importance of the donkey this morning, uh, and, and we're, we're focusing uh, Sunday morning on the donkey, uh, which seems strange, but this donkey, I think, relates to a lot of us. Uh, not that we're dumb, uh, but sometimes sometimes we are. Um, at least I know I am, and I know the people over at Hillside Heart. Uh, I love you guys. <laughs> um, but I think, I, I think we're dumb at times, and, and, and we mess up. We're human. It's natural. And I think God uh, understands that. But we have a lot in common with this donkey because I think as people, uh, I, I know at least myself, there are times, uh, there are seasons in my life where, where I feel that I don't know uh, exactly what my purpose is. I know there was a time where I was very much trying to figure out, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know uh, what God has for me. And at times we can feel very insignificant. Uh, we can feel like I'm not worth it. Uh, maybe we're like that donkey. I've never had someone use me before. I don't know that I, I have giftings. What are my giftings? And I think what the encouragement from this portion of Scripture is, uh, a portion of Scripture that we so often probably just gloss over in the big hubbub of, of, of Easter and Palm Sunday. Um, it's, it's like uh, when you go Christmas tree uh, 
shopping. Uh, if you were to go out into the forest and you see a big tree, uh, you're like, this would be perfect for my house. And you cut it down and you bring it to your home and it doesn't fit. And you're like, this, this was so much smaller than all the other trees out in the forest. How, how, how is it not fitting in my house? But I think uh, some very grand trees can get lost amongst the bigness of some of the other trees around them. Uh, it's like the story about the donkey. We focus on Jesus' triumphal entry and the Hosanna and the palm branches and moving on to Easter the next week, which are all very important things, very important things. But the story of the donkey can be very important to us as well, because just like this donkey, uh, he probably didn't think very highly of himself. Uh, maybe he didn't have aspirations or, or plans like, I'm going to go conquer the streets someday. Um, and, and I think many of us, and maybe I'm speaking just to myself, but I think many of us, we have questions about, God, what are you going to use me for? God, do you have a purpose for me? Am I worth being used? Uh, God, I don't know. No one has affirmed, or, or, or maybe people have affirmed, I just don't believe them. Uh, God, I, I would... Am I worth it? Uh, and I think what Jesus says about this donkey and what the scripture and the prophecies about this donkey fulfill is that each and every single one of us, like this donkey, uh, God created you for a very, very specific reason and a very specific purpose. Uh, some of us might be gifted uh, more than others, but others are gifted in different ways than we're gifted. Some of us are in an opportunity in a place where we can uh, thrive and see many people around us. Others of us maybe aren't in a place where we see lots of people, but God has created you, formed and fashioned you for a very specific reason, a very specific purpose, and he wants to use each and every single one of us. Uh, that there's not a person uh, who has given their heart to Jesus who God does not want to use to reach this world. And, and, and I believe, like this donkey who had a very specific purpose, uh, we as followers of Christ have a very specific purpose, and God has gifted us and filled us with his spirit for that specific purpose. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 28, his last word here on earth, he says, go into all the world and make disciples. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe the things which I have taught. And then he says, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Now, we tend to look at that. That's a familiar portion of Scripture, but so often we forget the very verse that was right before it. And Jesus in that verse right before it says, All authority, all power has been given to me, therefore go. Therefore go. And so often we can think of ourselves, Well, that's a very big task to go. Uh, how do I go? What is my vehicle of getting there? I don't know how to get there. I don't know if I'm gifted. And, and I think what God is saying here is he's saying, hey, all authority, all power has been given to me. Therefore, I'm going with you. That's that low I'm with you always. Uh, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have the creator of the universe taking up residence inside of you. And that same power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that created everything, the same power that saved us, that's in us. And God wants to use each and every single one of us to go impact uh, this world. That seems like a very big task, but I believe wholeheartedly that if you were to impact one person and to give one person hope, to give one person love, to give one person Jesus, uh, that's worth it. That's worth it. You might feel like, well, I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not standing up on a stage seeing hundreds of thousands of people give their hearts to Jesus. But Jesus never said, go be Billy Graham. Jesus never said, uh, go be this person or that person. He said, go be you, and I am with you 
go see the world come to love Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you guys this morning. I know Journey Church uh, is, is, is a church all about seeing people fall in love with Jesus. Uh, and you guys are in a pretty cool community right here in Damascus. And I want to encourage you guys, just like I would encourage Hillside and Clackamas, uh, just like I would encourage any church, just like I would hope someone would encourage me, uh, God has a plan and a purpose for each and every single one of you. This isn't some feel-good message. I don't want to just give a feel-good message. I want to give you truth. And God's Word says that each and every single one of us were fearfully, wonderfully made. God has formed and fashioned each and every single one of you for a very specific use. Uh, and, and, and so I just want to pray for you guys this morning and encourage you guys this morning to, in everything you do, uh, give all the glory to God and live your life for Him. Even in the smallest, most mundane tasks, that you might feel these are useless tasks. I don't know why I'm doing it. Look to bring honor and glory to the Lord and see what He does with those tasks. Going to fill up your gas at the gas station. Seems like a pretty mundane task. Everyone's got to do it. Well, here's the thing. When was the last time you said to the gas attendant, hey, you know, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. When you're at the grocery store, at Safeway or at Starbucks or something, letting people know, hey, God loves you. God loves you. And see what doors begin to open as you step out and say, you know what, I'm going to share the same love that was shared to me. I'm a father, I'm going to share that same love. And because God first loved me, I'm going to love this world. And see what God begins to do. Uh, I know in my own life, uh, sometimes that's not the easiest thing to do. Some mornings when I go through the drive-thru at Starbucks, I just woke up, I need my coffee. Now I'm not going to Starbucks. I'm Lee, he makes a mad mocha. I'm coming here. Uh, you're here every day, right? No. Oh, yeah. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, there's times where I don't want to. It's, it sounds terrible. There's times where I don't want to share the light of Christ. I just want to sit and be myself and drink my coffee. Uh, but that's not what we've been called to do or called to let the whole world know. And so I want to encourage you guys uh, to maybe begin to make some small steps. Maybe, God loves you. Maybe there's some of you here who, who this is a normal practice for you, and every day is an evangelism day for you. I want to encourage you, continue to do that. Continue to do that so that others can see that and be encouraged by it. Uh, I think when we uh, look at the New Testament, Paul tells us to spur one another on with good works. So if we're an evangelism extraordinaire, and we have someone who maybe isn't, hey, let's take them under our wing. Let's mentor them. Let's say, hey, this is how you can do it. This is how you can do it. There's many different ways to evangelize. Uh, and, and there's many different ways to show God's love and to show people uh, what Jesus taught and, and to lead people to Jesus. And so I want to encourage you guys. Each and every single one of you guys are gifted and talented in a very specific way. Maybe you don't know your gifting. I would encourage you to seek those things out. Uh, the number one way I'd seek those out is pray. Ask God, God, what have you gifted me with? What talents have you given me? How can you use me for the gospel? Uh, read God's word. Very, very simple uh, a way to, to find out how God has gifted you. See what his word has to say. What things begin to click with you. When you hear about uh, evangelism, maybe you're terrified. But when you hear about generosity, maybe you're like, hey, you know what? That's me. I'm a generous person. Maybe you're someone who's like, you know what? I'm not very generous. But man, when it comes to words of knowledge and words of wisdom, man, I feel like God has given me those words. And I, I'm ready to give those to the people around me. God's gifted us all specific ways. Uh, and and if, if, if there's one person, if there's multiple person who maybe you feel like a donkey who's not being used, just sitting there uh, waiting for some Jesus person to come hotwire you, 
and, and, and use you for Jesus. I think Jesus wants to do that in each and every single one of our lives today. Uh, and so, so we're going to pray, and the, and the Word of God tells us that uh, when we offer up the prayer of faith, uh, believing, we receive. And so I'm going to believe this morning with you guys as we pray that God will uh, help reveal those gifts, reveal those talents to us, uh, that, that each and every single one of us will be empowered by the Spirit, a very real Spirit that is working still in our, uh, in our context today. The Holy Spirit is very much uh, alive uh, in the church, and, and I believe can be alive even more. Uh, if, if we are open to see what he will do in and through us. So we're going to pray, we're going to believe, we're going to receive, and then we're going to go and enjoy the rest of this day. Amen? Amen? Dear God, we thank you so much. God, we thank you that uh, even in the most uh, uh, seemingly insignificant things, God, you use us. God, you've gifted us, you've uh, given us talents for a very specific reason, uh, for a very specific time. Uh, God, in a time and a culture uh, where, where, where things uh, tend to seem uh, just a little bit different than what your word says. Uh, God, where right is called wrong and wrong is called right. Uh, God, where we can think, man, it would be a lot easier to live at a different time. Uh, God, you've put us here at a very specific time for a very specific reason. And you've gifted us with very specific things, each and every single one of us individually. God, I pray that if there's one here who, who maybe feels uh, insignificant, God, I pray that this morning uh, you would just fill them up, God, and let them know uh, that they are cared for, that they are loved, and God, that you have a purpose and a plan for their life. God, for the person who's maybe trying to figure out what that purpose or plan is, maybe it's a high schooler graduating and going into college, a college grad. Maybe someone's in between jobs. Uh, maybe a new family is being started. God, whatever the situation, uh, if there's people looking for direction, God, in their life, God, I pray that you would give direction. God, I pray that you would even use individuals in this room to give a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge to someone that helps point in direction. God, we pray that we would be open to letting your Holy Spirit move in our lives. Uh, God, that your Holy Spirit, who empowers us with, 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 with many gifts, um, God, I pray that, that we would allow you to move in and through us. And God, that as we do this, as uh, the church body, not, not just Journey Church, not just Hillside, but as the church of Jesus Christ in this greater North Clackamas, Damascus, Gresham community, God, as we begin to allow the Spirit to move and to guide us, God, as we begin to see the things that you've given us, God, and we begin to understand that you have called us for a very specific purpose. God, I pray that we would be able to see and begin to see our community just fall so deeply in love with Jesus. God, that you would start something here and now. Uh, God, in this time where there, there's a great wave of people who, who give their heart uh, to Jesus as a result of your people taking your commission, not your suggestion, your commission to go into all the world. God, I pray that we would go to our families we go to our extended families, that we would go to our classrooms and our, our workplaces, uh, God, our, our, our teammates, whatever uh, context we are in, God, I pray that we would go with the sole purpose uh, to make great and to make famous the name of Jesus. And God, we're just excited to see what you're going to do. So God, we just pray that you would go with us as we go from this place. Uh, God, that we would uh, be people who are known. Uh, because of Jesus doing stuff in and through us. That they wouldn't know us, but that they would know Jesus in us. So God, we thank you. God, we praise you in your wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's saints said, Amen. Amen.